the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Let's do it. Football frenzy. Headlines at 4 o'clock. Adam Hill is here. Steve Cofield. We're going to talk uh, more hockey. Shane Knighty, part of the broadcast team with the Vegas Golden Knights. What a crazy weekend. What a crazy weekend, especially if you're a fan. Certainly if you're a player on the Vegas Golden Knights. Weird that it's 2-2. Well, it's weird the way it happened. So Shane Knighty's coming up in about 15 minutes. And five, we'll tell you what's going on with the Chiefs as they right now, I believe, have one of their players in jail in Southern California. That ain't good. A player with some history, too. Yeah. Not a player on the Rams. But speaking of the Rams, Sean McVay, the boy genius, has he found his match at quarterback? Because the last guy may not have been a genius. It seems like it. He's very excited about having Matthew Stafford there. And we talked about last week that he's had some things to say about Stafford and everybody's like, okay, you're over the top raving about Matthew Stafford. Like, are you taking shots at golf with this? And he won't stop doing this. And now his obsession is just raving about how smart Matthew Stafford is. There's like five interviews where he talks about how smart he is, including uh, a conversation with Albert Breer where he says, Bro, this dude's a bad MFer. Whatever people say about him, as good as it can be, he's even better than advertised. Everything just makes sense to him. The guy's ability to see the game, his ability to draw on experiences, the feel that he has, it's special and unique. He's just a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> okay, at this point, this is this is so much like your rebound girlfriend. Like just ranting and raving about how good the rebound right. girl is, but you really know what you're ta- you really know what you're talking about. Of course, of course. Poor Jared Goff. She's so fun. This is absolutely a tax on Jared Goff, and and the more that he says he's smart, because he goes on and on. Uh, there's, uh, like I said, you could pull you <laughs> pull multiple interviews here. He's like everything. He's smart. He's brilliant. He does this. He reads defense. Like. All this stuff about how smart he is, it's clearly an attack on the guy who didn't know that the sun rose in the east. Like, that's Jared Goff's legacy. That's how we remember him and having the hottest girlfriend in the NFL. But that's how we remember him as being kind of dumb from hard knocks. And it seems like McVay is willing to just bury him in that way. What do you think Andy Reid is thinking right now about how smart Frank Clark is? Well, what can Andy what can Andy Reid say? It's a good point. Not really want to pass judgment <laughs> no. with his son. No. As a tragic story. Yeah. Frank Clark is maybe out of jail, might still be in jail. Possibly still there. Yeah. He was him. arrested for? Uh just normal. A traffic violation. He had an Uzi in his Lambo. Okay, headline Frank Clark arrested. Cops say NFL star had Uzi in Lambo SUV. So do I. Routine traffic stop Sunday evening in L.A. Uh, They say they noticed an open duffel bag in his ride. Inside the bag. The gun. Arrested. 
28-year-old, for felony illegal possession of a firearm. Jail records show as of 90 minutes ago, Pacific time, that he's still in jail. I mean, who hasn't driven around their Lambo with an Uzi in a duffel bag? Also, open duffel bag, I think you... I'm just living my life as a movie right now. Don't you just do that so that you can reach in the bag and shoot through the bag so nobody knows you have the gun? You're shooting through the duffel bag? I don't know. I haven't thought about shooting a gun in a car. That's all I do. Well, I have. I don't have a gun. Smart of you. Yes. That's why. You have the Lambo. I don't have the Lambo either. So you don't have an Uzi or a Lambo? No. Hmm. And we know Frank Clark was in a boatload of trouble back in his college days, some seven years ago, on really serious domestic violence charges. Yeah. So he's had troubles in the past. He's been moved around the NFL, and the Chiefs believed in him and gave him a big contract. So right now he's in the midst of a uh, five-year deal for $104 million. You can buy a lot of Uzis for that. That, But that's I, also – You know what? I don't even know. I haven't had a chance to look it up. What is gun possession cost – players in the past some any cases of illegal gun possession is this again where the nfl should keep its beak out of it or you know that it, it will be sticking its beak isn't it six, in the story isn't it six games automatically you know what remind us again it was one of the it was one of the great moments it's probably your high high point in sports radio when they came out with a ruling i'll have to look it up again what year it was and it was like any brush with the law or any violent incident minimum six games Right. And then you you came right out. You're like, how do you even make that call? Right. When? Based on what allegations? There's no way they're going to stick with this. When they, they haven't stuck with it at all. When you're arrested, when you're charged, when you're convicted, like when does this apply? Hmm. Nobody has any idea. Nobody ever did. That's why it was hilarious when they announced it. And it's has had no teeth since then uh, because they didn't really think it through. They just wanted to make an announcement that looked good for everybody. Yeah, it was performative. Yeah, of course it was. Uh, so, yeah. The, and... and you know, I joke about Frank Clark. Obviously, could be a very serious situation that he's in. He has had some very serious issues in the past. It's why the Chiefs have him, though. Like they probably wouldn't have ever got him if if he didn't have some issues in his past. They were able to take a chance on him. They've taken their chances on other guys too. Uh, but sometimes when you take chances on guys, it doesn't always work out for you. Yeah, I'm just looking back at all the cases where they've been called. The NFL has been called on the carpet. Like, where's the six games? But yeah, I don't agree that there should be any minimum because case by case is different. Of course it is. Is it allegations? Is it arrest? Is it charged? August of 2014. We've been doing radio long enough. That was uh, almost seven years ago. Yeah, they announced a new policy. And then I'm finding all the examples of like Zeke Elliott. Six does, he get it, does he get it or not? Yeah. Still waiting for that one? Yeah, August 28th, 2014. We'll see what his, what Zeke's discipline is. <laughs> Goodell, my disciplinary uh, decision led the public to question our sincerity. This was about the Ray Rice situation, but commitment and whether we understood the toll that domestic violence inflicts on so many families. I take responsibility for both the decision and for ensuring that our actions in the future properly reflect our values. I didn't get it right. So here's six games. And this isn't necessarily a domestic violence case, but no, Frank but was, Clark does have a DV case in the past. No, but they said it was going to be a, like a violence, any right. violence, right. which I, I don't know that possessing a gun is violence. That's why this rule was so weird in the first place. I have not watched The Shop since that first one. Really? Has it been pretty good? I watch every one. Okay. I love it. Is Brady coming up? He is. 
Making some waves. Look at how fired up you are. Why are you all fired up? Some, because, oh, no. Because Brady's... Are we going to get the whole Mark Davis meeting out of this? Are going to tell that story again? That, that, that you wrote that pissed off so many people? Vague. It's vague, Brady. It's 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 vague, Brady, but knowing that he's going to really, you know, start start a fire with what he says. Set this up. What's he talking about? Uh, well, we don't know. All this is is the clip, like the promo clip, to get you to watch it. And he drops a bomb... On someone that I don't think we'll ever know who I know. I think I know who, but he drops a bomb on somebody and basically just leaves it out there for everybody to kind of interpret. One of the teams and they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking you're sticking with that mother. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it's not, it's one of the teams he said, so it's not the Patriots. So it's not Stiddy. No. So you think it's one of the teams that could have been interested in Brady and then they weren't, and he's like, you're sticking with that mother. Yeah. I think, and to me, first of all, I'll say right off the bat, I think the internet has decided it's the Raiders and Derek Carr. Oh, no. I do Camp, not, Car- Camp Carr doesn't need this. I do not believe that to be the case. He just said <laughs> no. he's going to quit the NFL. No. He's not with the Raiders. Don't, don't, this can't be the Derek Carr story of the week. This week. I don't think it is. I don't think it's Carr. Okay. Um, Another camp of the internet is on. I've, I've seen the other camp. Well, another camp is on the Ryan Tannehill. Oh, really? Wagon. Yeah. Because remember, there was that flirtation with with Tennessee. I've seen the other camp, which is wait, they're going to stick with Jimmy G. It's it's one hundred percent Jimmy G. <laughs> okay, it's a hundred percent Jimmy G. Right. He wanted to go to the 49ers. He clearly had already has a history with Jimmy G. Right. That's that's where he's going with this. Absolutely. He's never going to say it. They don't. Uh, I think the the clip wants you to think that he's going to say what it is on the. Oh, he'll show. say it. He's not going to. say I it. I believe these clips. I okay, believe these yeah. teases. He's not going to say it. He'll say it. Um, and I don't think Mav's going to follow up on. <laughs> Maybe he is. I do. I do like Mav on the show, but uh, yeah, I think it's Jimmy G. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the four o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. Me and Flower has gotten really close this year, you know, supporting each other and we don't care about the noise. So it's just great motivation for me. It was very enjoyable on Twitter today, and uh, thank you guys very much for giving me that motivation. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Hey, whatever works, right, for Robin Leonard? He got a chance yesterday, surprising selection, and he kicked ass. And the Knights got just enough offense to get by. What a wacky series this is right now. 2-2 in the series. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield. Shane Knighty. Covering the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the broadcast team. Shane, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How you doing? We're good. We got a lot to unpack here. Uh, first of all, this is, I will you tell me is it is it a unique relationship with Leonard and Flurry and the fact that they they both want to play, but you know right now it looks like they're copacetic with uh, playing when they get a chance to play and they support each other. Well, that's that's what good teams have. You have that internal competition that yeah you want to be the guy and you know even to an extent you think of Nick Holden. All year, you know, being able, certainly he'd rather be in the games, but he didn't play a lot. Now time comes and he's been a big part of it. Um, good teams have that, that depth, and, and certainly maybe a little more unique at the goaltending position to have two guys like Leonard and Flurry. but, um, you know, it's how you handle it. You, you can't be a negative aspect of the team, and I think 
you know, Leonard's maybe understood that uh, this year as he's kind of been, you know, the backup. And when your time's called, you've got to be the guy that's ready to go. So uh, I think it's always good. It's certainly it's a massive tool for a coach to have two guys like that and, and knowing when uh, and having a feel for, for the players when, when you need which guy to step up. You know, Flurry's been the guy, but a, a bold call by Pete DeBoer that really worked out. I mean, you mentioned good teams have that, but how much could bad individuals ruin that if they, you know if they weren't cooperative? Like, couldn't couldn't one of them, if they weren't ready for this or they didn't like the situation, couldn't they kind of sabotage everything if they weren't willing to to you know give up for the team? Uh, absolutely, I think that you know there's that happened, but none of those teams are still around. You don't get to this <laughs> right. point if that's there. So. Um, you know, all the teams that are remaining have earned it. They all have uh, a special group of guys. Uh, every year, you, whoever wins it, you say it's the best group of guys you played with. Well, that, that, there's truth to that. They're not just saying it because they won the championship. It takes a unique group just to get this far to the conference finals or semifinals, I guess. Like, I, sorry, still going old school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but uh, we'll go back to that. But, <laughs> yeah, and, and it is. You have to have a group that's really pulling all in the same direction, understanding the situations. And, you know, realizing that if it's not you that night, it may be you the next night or the next day or whenever, and to make sure you're ready and not, not bring any negativity to that room. You mentioned that the decision by DeBoer to make that move, to make that change for yesterday's game. Uh, how surprised were you when you heard that that was going to happen? You know what? I wasn't that surprised. Uh, it, I understood it. I think if there was a time for him to do it, now would I? You know, I always try to think in that situation what you do is certainly it wasn't that flurry played bad uh, you know a couple of mistakes um and it happens it, it's unfortunate you remember that that play comes to flurry a thousand times 995.5 or he's going to make the right play is you know it's just one of those things that that it happens but um and maybe it's a mental break for him so it doesn't weigh on him how does he bounce back see this is where i was i'm impressed that you know pete DeBoer. And it kind of made me, you know, think back. We all remember what happened in year two, San Jose in the finals, uh, or in the in second round, and Golden Knights lost them. And I remember Pete DeBoer on the other side of it. I'm like, why does he keep letting Martin Jones play? Golden Knights were in control of that series. Jones stunk. And he stuck with them. He has a feel for his guys. Jones turned it around. They end up, San Jose wins that series. You know, a little bit of controversy at the end, of course, but still. Um so to me, that kind of, you know, Pete DeBoer has a real feel for his guys, and uh, he's not afraid to pull the trigger or to, to make a bold decision or a bold move, and it's paid off. Um, and it certainly did last night as, you know, Leonard was the best player for Vegas. Well, how bold would it be to go back to Flurry? <laughs> I don't know if he considers it bold. It's, you know, I can see him. <laughs> I always seem to, when I play this game, guess wrong. Um, but I think I could definitely see him going back to Flurry, playing on home and then maybe back to Leonard for game six, back into the rotation. Or I could see him, you know, maybe Leonard's his guy now for a bit until he feels there's a change. Um, and, and that's us looking from the outside. You get a lot more info when you're in there. And I think that's, you know, what really is impressive about, you know, the coach is, is he has a real good temperature for his guys. He understands what makes them tick. And, you know, he's, he's the guy that has to make that tough decision. And, you know, he seems to have made the right one, and we'll hope he makes the right one again for tomorrow's game. <laughs> That's Shane Knight. You can hear him uh, on the broadcast breaking down all kinds of uh, Golden Knight stuff all over the place. You guys are everywhere now. You can hear podcasts oh. and radio. Oh, yeah. And everything. Busy. 
Yeah, so we big... can't call the games. We're trying to do other stuff. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so you know, we th- the goalie talk could go on for hours and hours. We'll find out what they do uh, tomorrow. The bottom line is the Knights have two very good goaltenders uh, to rely on. Uh, they thought they had a top line to absolutely rely on all the time. <laughs> it hasn't been there. Can we just say it's as easy as Chandler Stevenson's not there? Oh, certainly it's the easy answer. Um, but it's part of this time of year, key guys out. Uh, they miss backs patch ready for the majority of round one. You, you have to find ways around it. It's about, and, and you hear it from the players all the time, next man up mentality. Uh, certainly your top players, it's not one guy that's going to plug in and make the difference. It's by committee. Everybody giving it a little bit more. I think, you know, if you're to ask Stone and Patch Ready, they, they want to bring more. Of course, Patch Ready, big play on the overtime goal, but uh, I think their top six overall need to be better. Um, you know, you can throw the, the Carlson line right in there. Certainly, um, you know, he's not going to sugarcoat. They weren't great last game. Yeah. And credit, credit Montreal. Uh, they, they play a game that can frustrate you. And if you're going to try and play cute or you're going to try and force plays, uh, it's, they're going to make you pay. Uh, I think Vegas can get to their game. I think puck decisions are important. That that uh, that leads to puck possession, and then that's when the Golden Knights are good when they can play in those waves. We hear it all the time, but I, I think their decisions with the puck can be a lot better uh, in the next game. Their feet, they have a little more pace to their game, a little more inside, straight lines, um, and uh, but the top guys, uh, you need them to lead the way. They've been quiet this series been the defensemen that have really stepped up in Nick Waugh. So, um, and which is good. It's great to have that depth. You have to have depth to win games because it's not, you know, the pressure's on those guys, but they can't always be the guys scoring the goals. But certainly you'd like them at some point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, obviously they've, they've been trying to experiment a little bit with that top line. They tried Alex Tuck up there. He's just really not a center. Uh, no. doesn't really doesn't really work out. That Well, let, let's start there first of all. How difficult is it to take a guy that's a wing that's – you know, big, fast, powerful, everything that he can bring. How tough is it to say, hey, go play center? Yeah, well, it is tough. It's exciting when you say that, when you've got a big, strong, fast <laughs> guy. You love him to have him in the middle of the ice. But I think for Alex Tuck, uh, there's a lot more, you know, responsibility, positioning, certainly on breakouts, always being the right zone. There's a little more curl to the game. And I think they want him more in straight lines. So that move, and, you know, it's a, it's a great in-game adjustment by the coaching staff, recognizing, hey, this isn't working. Bring Nosek up there, put Tuck back with Wah and Yanmark, which I think is, you know, and arguably been their best line throughout this series, yeah. at least uh, the most dangerous in my opinion. Um, so makes that move, doesn't stick with it, and you know, he gives it a chance, but you, you don't overdo it, don't overcook trying to, you know, force that to work. It doesn't moves it. Uh, Nosek I thought was, you know, a lot more comfortable up there between Patch Ready and Stone than Tuck was. So, um, but it is a huge adjustment. There's just more. More responsibility. There's different positioning on the ice, uh, certainly in the defensive zone. Uh, a lot of it, not only defending, but and that said, it's not always the centerman that ends up down low in the defensive zone. So everybody knows the responsibilities, but to do it, you know, for a complete game, taking draws, you know, being that center support, whether it's uh, in neutral zone or in the D zone, there, there's more things to it. So there are adjustments, and I think Tuck's just one of those guys who's a lot more comfortable in the wing. So. You talked about the, you know, we we know the first line has struggled. We've talked about that a lot. The second, you know, the misfit line hasn't necessarily been great all the time either. What would do you think it would be that crazy to just try Carlson up on the top line? You don't want to break up the second line either, but at the same time, maybe that works. 
I, I, I'm open for them to try whatever. Uh, you know, it's good to hear that Stevenson's on the horizon, although I don't know what that means. Right. Um, certainly hope it's sooner than later. I think they're going to look at all options. I think they're happy with what they saw from Nosek um, to get going. But, yeah, certainly Carlson could be an option. I think that's a good thing when you have depth like that, and, and maybe DeBoer does go to that, to trying something else. I'm sure it's all been part of the discussions. and uh, You know, the coaching staff, They'll, they'll look at every combination they can um, that might work. Is, is Carlson there? There's, you know, or do you shuffle it all around? Like Stone and Marshall played on the wing together at the World Championships for Canada and had a lot of success playing together. Um, you know, do, do, you, do you go that far to shuffle things around? Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the top six or if they just feel, you know, they won a game. <laughs> I think they deserved a better fate in game three, didn't get it, and then, you know, probably Montreal deserved a better fate in Game Four, so they're evened up. And you know, now back on home ice, they took back home ice advantage, and you let it play out as is, and then wait for in-game adjustments. Which you know, I think uh, again, Pete's done a real good job at you know looking at his game, understanding his team in-game, and if something needs, if they need a spark, he's not afraid to make some moves. There's been a lot of talk about officials in this series. Uh, oh, geez. to yeah. me, to me, like <laughs> it's pretty. I, I it's been bad. But it's been fairly consistently bad. They're just not calling anything, right? That's yeah. That that's the way it is. I and, and when you're at ice level, and I get to call games, you know, been on ice level playing, but even there, the speed of the game, and um, you know, do you want to slow down completely? And this is going to be an argument that goes on. They, we've com- complaints about officiating have been going on since the beginning of hockey. They're going on, you know, when I played 20 years ago and 10 years before that, and they'll go on 20 years after this even if they did start calling everything they see. I think players adjust quickly um, and recognize, okay, is this going to get called that, or they're not calling anything, and you can get away with a little bit more. Um, I think it's been a great great hockey in the playoffs. Um, I understand the fan bases each feel their team's uh, the one getting it the worst, <laughs> but that's uh, that's part of it. It always has been. and uh, Certainly there's some calls. And, you know, the, and the Golden Knights should have had – gone against them and there's some that Montreal should but uh, uh, I think for me I look at it overall package and it's been very entertaining hockey. So part of the narrative coming out of the Canadian side today at the press conference was hey the longer this goes the big favorite Golden Knights are going to feel more and more pressure and us as big underdogs we're not going to feel any pressure at all we're just out there playing is, is that accurate? Oh, it's posturing, right? There, there's, sure. there's, yeah, it's always, it's always easier to play. Oh, we're, that's, that's just part of it. Uh, you know, the underdog versus this, that. Well, I think the Golden Knights, that's part of having pressure. They've had it all season, and it is tougher to deal with when you're considered the favorite. You've got to handle a few more things. Look at year one. The Golden Knights had an incredible run without you know anybody ex- having any expectations or any pressure. Um, so it was always on the opponent. But at some point, you have to learn to deal with it. And I think, you know, this team's gone through a lot of adversity. I talked about round uh, against San Jose in year two. You build off that. Uh, last year in the bubble, didn't go their way. You build off that. And, and they're going to have pressure until they handle it. This team's constructed, in my opinion, to go to the final. And I, I'm not just saying that. That's That's the way I feel. I feel they're the better team. But... The game still has to be played. They still have to execute their game plan. They have to, you know, be ready to play against the Montreal team that does a real good job slowing them down. So, uh, I guess the easy question, and I, I think I know where you're going here, but how does the rest of the series play out? Oh, well, I don't know. I have to watch the games. <laughs> but I think, 
I believe, I really believe that if they play their game and if they can get their four lines, I power play. Well, we could, that's another long discussion. <laughs> Certainly needs to be better. I think it's too stagnant right now. A lot of that has to do with confidence. You know, they're going over the boards right now, just kind of a little bit with fear in their eyes of, you know, okay, let's not do this. Or you start to squeeze your stick. You're, you're thinking too much. I think they got to get a little more movement uh, and it's got to get cleaner. Certainly it'd help if they start with the one face off and puck possession, but um, I, I think the Golden Knights should be able to win tomorrow, and that'll really set them up for uh, for a game six. So uh, I said at the start to someone, I don't know who it was, I think they're going to get it in six. So I'll stick with that. There Good deal. Go. Shane, we appreciate it. Thank you for the time. All right, guys. Have a great day. Look forward to tomorrow. There he is. Oh, yeah. Shane Knighty. Great series happening. Fired up for tomorrow. Uh, by the way, tomorrow we're on the road. Cannery, Victory's Bar and Grill. Boy Gaming is the official home for all of the LV Sports Network stations during this VGK playoff run. So join us for the 2 o'clock start. We'll be there through the uh, beginning of the game. Lots of uh, prizes you can sign up for. Happy hour food and drink specials as well. It's the cannery. It's victories inside the cannery. It'll all kick off tomorrow before game number five for the Golden Knights right here with Cofield and Company. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Crazy day in sports, crazy day for the Raiders, the NFL. If you missed it, Carl Nassib puts out a IG video. He's a defensive end for the Raiders and says, uh, I'm gay. So lots of reaction. It's the first uh, openly gay rostered player. In the National Football League. Roger Goodell has released a, st- uh, released a statement. We'll get to that in a 5 o'clock hour. I expect it mostly uh, to be performative. Sorry, but that's what I expect from Raj. Mark Davis said, uh, these are personal decisions. 2021, and he's a Raider. If he's happy, I'm happy. It takes courage. I thought we got to the point where this wasn't a story. Uh, it doesn't change my opinion of him as a man or as a Raider. Well, it's, it's a story. Because if the individual... Needs the needs to have it out there to feel free to live his life. Then it's a story. Yeah, absolutely, it is, and and it is. I, I think that's the um the the sentiment for now. Like this is the kind of thing that, and I've seen other people that are. Why is this a story? Well, it's a story because it is still a struggle for people that feel like they have to live, you know, not in the public a secret, a secret like, life, a secret life, right? Yeah. And so it's a story until they don't feel that way anymore mm-hmm. and until we are welcoming enough of a society and the world to be like, hey, it's not a big deal. It's, it doesn't matter. And listen, we're, we're getting there. Like we have made progress, but there's a long way to go still. And if you don't understand that, this is part of understanding that, that a guy like Carl Nassib who seemingly has everything, professional athlete, makes money, you know, everything else, still feels like he had to live a lie and live in secrecy because of, you know, standards or societal norms, whatever you want to say. So we're making progress, but until we're there, it is a story. And it is, you know, something that that should get attention because we we need to get to that level, and we're not there yet. And we'll see how social media reacts because that's so much of, you know, the feedback you get. It's interesting with social media. Um, back to the Knights. I feel like this is a town with expectations. 
That's a good thing for the Knights, right? They've set the expectations. Excellence coming out of the gates in their expansion year. That wasn't good enough, so they made changes at coach. They've made changes, you know, from some of the original guys who were drafted in the expansion draft. But I keep feeling like there was a couple of pushback moments the last few days by DeBoer. There was the Leonard mention about being motivated by people crapping on him on the internet. It's it's weird. First of all, DeBoer, have you noticed that? Like he said repeatedly, like, this is not easy, despite of what people think. Now, I know my tone is not Pete DeBoer's tone. Sure. Why does he need to keep saying it? Who are you, like, who are you addressing? I, we know it's, it's not easy. Question. It's a good question. Which I mean, mean, like, and again, I don't think it's, I don't think it's distracting Pete DeBoer, but no. he's, it's obviously something he's thinking about. Like, Pete, you've coached in multiple markets. I don't know. Does this market just care? This is going to sound crazy. And I actually think, I actually think it's a feather in our cap. Does this market just care more about the hockey team than his other stops? I mean, I, I think San Jose is pretty good hockey town. Eh, the Devils, I mean, they're not – it's not it's certainly not New York. It's not the New York area's team. The Rangers are. Right. And the Devils have their own loyal fans in New Jersey. You know, in terms of coverage, they, they're going to get, you know, North Star Ledger. They're going to get some of the other papers there. Is Are we actually to the point where, like, Vegas is pretty intense? That it's annoying them? That he – like – are you doing it? I think maybe who, the who, like who who's getting under his skin? Like who's saying it's easy? What the the odds makers? No, I mean I I would think it's almost. I think there's there's multiple possibilities on this. One, it's I, I'm not going to go with your with your theory. What that this is a great hockey market now? <laughs> no, um, with very high demands. I think it's a it's a an emotional hockey a, market. It's still a novice market where they don't really understand, and maybe that's that's part of it. But. So is Philly a novice market when it comes to basketball? No. Okay. Different. Different though. Well, why don't we why don't we talk talk about Philly fans as being novices and they don't understand they're basketball? Just, they're just we, we don't understand we hockey. They as, don't, they don't we, understand basketball. We talk about I, don't, them as, I don't care if they're they've been the center of the basketball universe at times for years at a time. We just talk about them as galoots. That's what they are. We've always talked about them that way. All right. So we've always referenced Philly. How about the other part of this? No, Leonard, I, I think it's Le- I think it's the fact that somebody like Leonard, who does obviously care and does right. obviously pay attention, and now DeBoer has to deal with not not managing necessarily, but like, hey, he, if Leonard's paying that much attention, then DeBoer has to kind of pay attention to understand right. what Leonard's going through. So Leonard was clearly ripping you guys in the uh, VGK. No media. fans. When did he say that? When he said he sat sat on Twitter and looked through all the comments. He's made reference to media people before. Sure, but the, it's got to be media people again. We're media it's you people. Guys. It's not the fans. It's you guys. Certainly not me. This is the move I've been calling All for. Right, well, you're you're a Leonard <laughs> Stan. We know that. Like, well, that's why I love that you automatically assume it's fans. It's Did he fans. say specifically fans? No, but I was looking through the tweets too. I he's, saw the fans. He's, he's quoted as saying, "I get to the games early, and I'm looking at the comments by you guys." He was no. I, I don't think he's talking not about the fans. It's you guys. How long would it take to look through comments? For, it would take thirty seconds. There's like eight media people. It's fans. That's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take two hours to look media. at the media tweets. Golden Knights media it takes people. eight seconds. He's talking about fans. Mm-hmm. I saw them. I saw the people. I'll never cheer for this team again. I'll give up my season tickets. I will never care about if, this team. What? I hope this team loses if they actually do start Leonard over Flurry. It was going on all day yesterday. It was crazy. And that's why I sent the tweet last night. How many people are deleting tweets right now? <laughs> like It was all day. I saw it. He's. I said it. I set a column 
on my tweet deck. I said a Leonard. I said a Leonard Flurry. A Leonard DeBoer. A Leonard give up tickets. Like I had all those, all, all those going all day yesterday. I was doing the same thing he was, but I saw the fans. They're insane. It's you guys. Yeah. How would it take two hours to look at media tweets? Golden, you just re- keep reading the same ones again, <laughs> oh, yeah, over and over again from yeah, years back. He probably sure. has, he probably has a column. Sure, whoever the Adam, you know the 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 whoever the Adam Hill is of uh, Flurry lovers. Here's the thing: I believe as about, opposed to Leonard lovers, I believe about eighty to ninety percent of the media is is Leonard over Flurry. So I I don't really yeah. So I don't think that that would I don't think that that's true. The phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Baseball update of all things coming out of the gates with our uh, eye on sports betting, but only because it's Jake DeGrom. They did it. Well, I say it like they never win. The Mets never win. They actually do win. I say it like they never get him wins, Jake DeGrom, but he's back from injury. He did get a win today. He's got seven wins now. So five innings, damn close to a no-hitter, you know, through the five. He gave up one hit, strikes out six, was throwing 100 on his fastball. It's such a weird sort of follow, isn't it? Like every game, you're like, is he going to pitch this game? Is he going to? Can he go five straight starts without needing a little bit of a break? But I mean, it's one of the more incredible seasons we've seen. I was going to say in the modern era of baseball because I remember what it was like when the ERAs were low up until uh, 1915. I mean, this is I was there. This isn't even modern era though. This is like it's ridiculous. Anytime it's good for like 1900 when they didn't even have bats. <laughs> just like swung toothpicks up there, whatever they did. He, uh, the ERA now is point zero five zero. Oh, is that good? Decent. He was minus two eighty two today. I mean, the, the numbers are pretty crazy because yeah, he's going to the first five should be, uh, you know, really insane with the numbers. But like they, as you said, like yeah, he has seven wins, but they aren't that amazing of a record when he starts. Uh, I was looking at the other day. I can't remember right now, but. You know, it's not, like you would think a guy that is consistently minus three dollars to four dollars, your team record is like fourteen and one when you start. It's not. They they lose way too often when he's on the mound, giving them <laughs> incredible outings, and he did again today. That they actually got one for him today, so good for them. Mets are actually good. Yeah, I'm surprised because they have really haven't been that healthy. Uh, JD Davis has been out a while. Uh, Nimmo's been out a while. Conforto is out. Uh, Nimmo and Conforto are both close. To coming back. It's not like they've had their full team. It's not like the back end of their pitching staff worked out the way they wanted it to. It's not like Noah Syndergaard came in as the second-half savior and was giving him quality innings because now he's shut down until September 1st. So the Mets have surprised. They're 37-29 and 29 now. Yeah, they're, uh, they're definitely staying above water without those guys. And now, you know, once they start to get fully healthy and if DeGrom can, you know, can make it through the whole year, they're going to be a force. And by the way... Get into the playoffs. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck beating him. Right. They're nine and three. He's seven and two. They're nine and three. Okay. When DeGrom starts, but you're going, right going on your instincts there. Year. They started out no no, they started out two and three. 
Okay. He going, started out two and three in his starts. And going back to last year, it was insane. <laughs> you know what's crazy? The like the ERA is nuts. The fact that it's zero point five zero. He's now pitched seventy two innings this year. He's got one hundred and sixteen strikeouts. Seventy two innings. He's given up. Ready for this one? Twenty seven hits in seventy two innings. How is that even possible? Preposterous. First of all, it's insane that he's only given up that few, but watching him, I don't know how he's given up that many. You do know you had uh, some opportunities to watch him here way back in the day. Sure. He wasn't. And, and DeGrom this. wasn't. He was not. He was He was a guy that was. They had some expectations. Like, I don't remember him being a top 10 prospect in all of baseball. No, he wasn't this. I, th- I think he he learned how this to corral some of his stuff. All right, so what do we do with the night series? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the series is uh, plus 290 on Montreal to win it. It's 2-2. If you want to bet Montreal, you bet game by game, right? Yeah, I, I, I thought so. you scoffed earlier when I asked Koken about it because I was looking at you know, I was looking at the value on Montreal. I'm like, yeah, hey, if the Knights don't straighten this out with – you know, basically zero goal scoring input from their top two lines or their you know their forwards, they're gonna win the series. Every game is nip and tuck. Yeah, I mean plus two ninety to me. Like I I wouldn't be betting the Knights in the series for sure. I think the the number's too high, but the Knights are in a great spot. I mean the, the Knights are two two with home ice advantage two out of the three games without their top six doing anything. Really without their forwards doing much of anything. Like at some point, those guys are too good to continue to be held down. Now, yes, in a short sample size, three more games, could they continue to struggle? Sure. But you do figure at some point the offense is going to break out, get them at least one win. And then, you know, now now you've got another, you know, two games win, one game. Like I, I feel like the Knights are in a great spot here to win this series. Yesterday was the game. Like they got thoroughly outplayed, as we mentioned, 18 to zero, high danger chances through regulation. You're not supposed to win that game. And they did. And they could have easily been down 3-1. Think of all the chances that the Canadians had to score early in the game. And then even the chances they had after they got the goal to go up 2-0. Which, in that matchup, with the Knights not able to do anything offensively, almost certainly would have been the game. Now you're down 3-1. And you're still, I think, even down 3-1, I think the Knights are like, okay, still got two at home. Still could probably win the series. But you're in a, a much more difficult spot now. Up now, two-two. It almost feels like they're ahead in the series. Um, I think the Knights are in a great spot to win this. No NBA tonight. We got Game Five of the Islanders in Tampa. You have a feel for this one? I mean, Tampa's one eighty. Yeah, tonight. Tampa's a better team. Tampa, you know, we we all. Saw what happened last game. They're behind chasing a goal, and they thought they had a goal. Uh, they, you know, you beat the goaltender, you think you scored, until the defenseman comes flying in. Pulak got it. So, um, I do think I do feel like Tampa is the better team. I, you know, just watching the series, they look more dangerous. They look like the better team. Braden Point's been on fire, but the Islanders, you know, we know how good Coach Barry Trotz is. Everybody here has seen it. That's for sure. Um, he's he's kind of found a way and. You know they do have a good good mix of you know talent kind of throughout the lineup. Uh, they're they're not Tampa to me, but could they win a series? Yeah, they could. And 
You know, tonight's a big game. Obviously, we know that. The Knights are going to face this tomorrow, but game five in a 2-2 series, the winner of game five wins the vast majority of the series. So it's a massive game for them tonight in Tampa, just like it'll be a massive game for the Canadians and Knights tomorrow. Bucks are minus 475 in the series against the Hawks. I mean, earlier we were talking, it's it should be it should be the Bucks title to lose at this point. They're basically even money. William Hill has them at plus 105 to win the title. Yeah. And by the way, I was I was crowing. I've crowed a couple of times about it, even though I got a bad number about the Clippers, who are a long shot without Kawhi, but having them at nine to one, they're still just seven to one to win the title. I got him at nine to one when Kawhi went down, which was I could have got him at fourteen. Didn't shop the number. Lesson, everybody. <laughs> Definitely a lesson. Um, I mean, it's not a bad number. It's not a bad. Sorry, it's a bad number. It's not a bad bet to get almost ten to one on a team you know that's that good. And you thought maybe Kawhi could come back at some point. He's not going to. I don't think. But um, you know, they showed like they the way that they played at the end of that series against Utah. That that was that was a team that could win a title. But I still think I might, Milwaukee I might, I might, I might have to build on this in the 5 o'clock hour. Tease board. NBA officiating. That's the tease. What if I... There's a really good story on ESPN.com about the officiating being... It's not wildly inconsistent because you know what's coming. But there is a difference between the way the game is called versus the little guys and the big guys. And Trey Young's a little guy. And for some reason... If you touch Trey Young, especially behind the three-point line, he's getting three shots. If Giannis is crashing to the hoop, boom, boom, right? You'd knock him around. Okay, maybe he gets two shots. Well, right off the bat, Trey Young's got an advantage because he's getting three. And the physicality in the lane is complete. You can't touch anyone on the perimeter now. This has become a little guy league. Like, we've already given an advantage to people who are shooting beyond the arc with the extra point. Now they get special treatment, more protection on the perimeter when they're hit. I will get to this in the 5 o'clock hour. This is a league. I talked about it. This is a league that is going more towards the little guy. But the NBA has got to do something with the officiating. Guys like Giannis, guys like Embiid, you can beat the living snot out of them, and they really don't get much of a reward. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios.